And I invite you this morning to turn now to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. Luke, chapter 5, verse 16. It's a great hope to me that the things that Jesus does for his people in the sacraments, the word, doesn't depend on my godliness, but on his spirit. Uh, That's one of my favorite parts of our confession of faith. Uh, If you turn to Luke, chapter 5, this morning. And as you turn to Luke, chapter 5, When we think about prayer, and particularly when we think about someone who devotes themselves to prayer, what that person looks like day to day, do you picture somebody who is unbothered by the world? Uh, When you picture somebody who has devoted themselves to prayer day after day, do you envision someone who, when they get sinned against, they don't get angry? When they get ignored, they don't feel hurt. Uh, When their job is taken away or they get demoted, they don't feel fear. Uh, When they're sick, they're fine if they don't get healthy again. So I think what most people think of when they picture a man or woman of prayer who has devoted themselves to praying day after day after day is someone who is so detached from the world and from their own life that nothing bothers them We imagine prayer is a way to detach or decouple ourselves from reality. Uh, But now here's my question. Does that person that I just described, that I imagine many of us envision when we think about someone who's devoted themselves to prayer, does that person look like Jesus? When Jesus saw injustice, he was angry. When Jesus was sinned against, he was grieved. When Jesus was facing the cross, He was afraid, and he cried out for another way. But in all these things, as Jesus responded and faced reality in the world, he responded in a way that built the kingdom up in righteousness. So in his anger, Jesus never sinned. In his justice, he sought repentance and reconciliation. He gave mercy to his enemies, like when he showed continually throughout the Gospels mercies to the Roman soldiers, the kinds of soldiers who were ordered to murder him and his family when he was a baby, a story he would have known. Jesus endured the cross, not rejecting God's will, but embracing it with faithful sorrow, and he died in the hope of the resurrection and of being in the presence of his Father forever. You see, Jesus, whose prayer life we're going to reflect on a little bit today, did not find prayer a means to detach from the world in sort of a Buddhist way of pretending like it has no impact or should not have an impact on us. No, for Jesus, it was a way of facing the world. Uh, Prayer is one of the disciplines that Jesus used along with Bible reading and Bible memorization, worship, Sabbath, fellowship. Prayer is one of the disciplines that Jesus used in his humanity to meet the world as it is, and to meet it in holiness, and in righteousness, and in justice, and in mercy. And the whole point of this series on quietness and prayer, which after today is going to morph into sort of just a series on prayer more generally, is how to move from being a people who react to a people who respond. Uh, So people who know how to be holy, meaning how to relate to the world and each other the way that Jesus does, how to be holy in a world where where sin, the flesh, and the devil constantly pressure us to react in unholy ways? How do we become people instead who respond well in holiness? And this morning I'm hoping to show how Jesus' own prayer life as a human being 
So yes, 100% God, but also 100% human. I'm hoping to show how Jesus' own prayer life as a human being reveals how to practice prayer in a way that encourages faithful response over fearful reaction. And I'm hoping to be very practical this morning, especially at the very end. So you can pray that I succeed. Uh, So let's read Luke 5. I'm going to read verses 12 to 16 of Luke 5 for context. Our sermon, though, is just going to focus mostly on verses 15 and 16. Uh, The points are there on the wall. Uh, Let's hear God's word. Uh, Let's pray, and then we'll reflect more on this. Luke chapter 5, beginning verse 12. Let's hear the word of God. Uh, When Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad. And great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Thus far the reading of what can only be God's own word. Let's uh, let's, let's pray together. Father, we want your word to uh, be the light for our our feet and a lamp for our path. We want uh, your word to change us and to renew us so that we can... Uh, devote ourselves more and more uh, to prayer and so learn how to respond like our Savior and not react uh, according to our sinful nature. But Lord, we know that these things will not happen unless your Spirit blesses the Word to us. And so, Father, we pray now that you would give us, through your Spirit, ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe your Word. Father, may the words of my mouth as your preacher and may the meditation of all our hearts as those called to hear and respond to Jesus, may they all now be pleasing in your sight. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So last year, uh, as I was preparing my sermon on Jesus wanting to be our friend from this passage, which if you want to listen to that sermon, you can find that in our sermon archives, uh, I was struck by the way that Luke moved from verse 15 to verse 16. Uh, I said a couple of weeks ago, I spent last year trying to figure out how to become someone who responds more than reacts. And it was this transition between these two verses that actually produced this entire series that you've been uh, hearing from me over the last few Sundays. So if you look at verse 15, Luke tells us that after this miracle, he says, even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. So In Luke's gospel, this is the start of Jesus' mega ministry, like we talked about last year. In this miracle, Jesus was removing the barriers of relationship. He was saying yes to this man's desire to be Jesus' friend. And so it's not just Jesus' power that draws people. It was Jesus' willingness to use his power to be with us that drew all of them to him. They were saying to themselves, here is a man who is not ashamed to be my friend and who is willing and able to remove even the forces of death to make that happen. Here is someone who has an open invitation into whole, open, vulnerable, honest, good, righteous, holy life with him. 
And this is exactly what Jesus wants to happen. Jesus came to preach good news. Jesus came to forgive sinners. He came to heal us, to to free us, to make us whole. Jesus came to turn enemies into friends. Jesus comes to confront the forces of death with the power of his own life so he can draw us into that life. Jesus came to bring salvation to sinners and to reconcile us to God and to reconcile us to each other. And so this is exactly the response that Jesus is aiming for. And as we talked about last year, everyone in Jesus' day would have understood that in this particular miracle. And so the news about Jesus uh, and what he's doing goes out into the world just like Jesus wants. But now look at verse 16. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And it's that word but that got my attention and made me kind of really think about what role prayer uh, had in Jesus's earthly life. Because I'll tell you, before I started this series, if Luke were writing a report about my ministry starting to explode and people saying, as has not happened, uh, oh man, like Matt's ministry is amazing. You've got to come, come hear him. You won't believe it. Like here's, here's a guy that you have got to meet. And people started coming in groves to grace Luke would not begin the next sentence with but. Uh, He would begin it with and. And Pastor Matt, he would go down and he would greet everyone and he would rejoice and he'd feel good about himself and he'd go home and he'd celebrate it with steak and wine and cheesecake, gluten-free, of course. Uh, Before my study, Luke would not have written, but as Matt's ministry increased, Matt would withdraw to quiet places He would leave the crowds and the people and shut off his phone and go into a silent room and pray day after day after day. And as I was thinking about that, I realized there's another difference between my discipline of prayer and Jesus's discipline of prayer, which is uh, that while I can absolutely look back on my life and see times of sustained, frequent, focused, urgent prayer of the kind that Jesus is doing here, that all of those times, though, were really uh, times during of, of where we had great struggle, where I had great struggle in my life. So in college, I had frequent sustained prayer when I struggled with feeling alone, misunderstood, unjustly judged for things that I believed. Uh, I had times of frequent sustained prayer uh, when I and my wife were being spiritually abused at another church. Uh, I had times of frequent and sustained prayer during my season of burnout that led to my sabbatical three years ago, and thank you again uh, for that blessing. But I can't say that I had sustained times of prayer when I was excelling in seminary and hearing everyone tell me that I was going to be one of the next big things, all in capital letters, and was going to get on the Reformed lecture circuit and make the rounds and write books. Uh, I didn't have times of sustained prayer uh, when uh, people were telling me that their, you know, my preaching was helping to change their lives. I I didn't even have times of sustained, frequent, focused, urgent prayer uh, when I met Hillary and wanted to marry her. Uh, But I want you to know, it's not that I didn't pray. I did pray. I absolutely was praying. But these times of prayer, when everything was going great, when everything was exploding and was life-giving and moving forward, uh, they would never be described by Luke the way he described Jesus' prayer life here. It would never have been, Matt had all the success and joy, but he would still make sure he went off every day by himself to pray to Jesus. See, my friends, I'm willing to bet that your life maybe has been like mine has been, 
uh, when things are difficult, when they're hard, scary, and sad, when we're confronting the great pressures and tribulations of the world, the flesh, and the devil, and to our great shame, sometimes the church even ends up on that list, doesn't it? Uh, when, we when we face these things, we do tend to have times of sustained, frequent, urgent, focused prayer. But when things are going well, our job is good, our family's good, we're healthy, we're getting compliments, we're meeting friends, we're making plans, we're thinking about getting married, we have kids, we have grandkids, the sun is shining, the birds are singing. Like, we pray during those times. But isn't it true that it tends to be kind of irregular? Once a week, twice a week, we kind of get around to it. It's not very focused, it's short. And if we're honest with ourselves, Luke probably would not write about our discipline of prayer the way he writes about Jesus' discipline of prayer. When everything is going well, and when everyone wants to take Jesus' invitation to be his friend and experience him remove the forces of death in order to do that, he would regularly step away from all of them and go and be alone and pray to his heavenly Father. And then from comparing the way uh, that Jesus and I use prayer to respond to the world, uh, I started really looking at kind of Jesus' prayer life. Uh, and I saw, uh, I mean, not for the first time, um, you know, I had one of those experiences where uh, I've read the Bible tons of times. Uh, I've read literally, without exaggeration, tens of thousands of pages about the Bible. I've heard hundreds of hours of sermons, and I still have this experience that I call have I ever read the Bible before? <laughs> like, you're reading through the Bible and you go, I've, it's like I've never even encountered this idea. Uh, this happens to me all the time. I have one of those experiences reading this passage. It just hit me how foundational prayer was to Jesus' life. And so I started reflecting on that life. As a boy, Luke tells us, Jesus was in the temple praying to his father. It's actually most likely in between the daily prayers that were being offered in the temple that Jesus was talking to the teachers. In between worship services, which is what was daily happening at the temple in Jerusalem, he prays for 40 days and nights in the desert before his ministry starts, before being tempted by Satan. And then after being tempted by Satan, Mark tells us that he spent more time in prayer while being cared for by the angels. Uh, in the next chapter in Luke, in chapter 6, this is verses 12 to 16, Jesus will spend all night in prayer on a mountain before choosing 12 of his followers to be the 12 disciples. And then after times of great success, he would go off and pray by himself in the wilderness like he does after feeding the 5,000. He leaves everyone and goes off and prays. After times of great trial, when people sought to kill him, he would go off alone and he would pray. The Garden of Gethsemane, of course, is super famous, whereas he's getting ready to die for our sins. He takes the disciples with him into this garden that Luke tells us is where he liked to go to pray. So this is a regular spot for him. And then he leaves his disciples alone so that they could pray together so that he can go off alone and pray by himself to the Heavenly Father. And then, of course, Jesus prays on the cross. Right? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It is finished as a prayer. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit as a prayer. See, prayer is so foundational to his life that his 
disciples who want to be like him. They did not ask him, teach us how to do miracles, teach us how to be preachers, uh, teach us how to uh, gain a following, teach us how to do, you know, worship right. They say, hey, Lord, teach us how to pray. Like they were so caught up in the fact that this is what our rabbi does. This is what our savior does. This is what our Lord does. This is the thing that marks him off in our eyes is how often he goes off to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. And that's why we have the Lord's Prayer, which I assume was our Lord's own model of prayer. So all of this to say what I realize is that for Jesus, the most important thing to do when things are going well and when things are going poorly when we're being praised and when we're being cursed is to withdraw to a private place and pray and to do this regularly. Why? Well, here we're moving on to our second point, which is prayer is even, and even more specifically quietness in prayer as we've been talking about, keeps us grounded in God's faithfulness and specifically God's faithfulness to us in the world as it is. Now, in a lot of ways, Uh, you could say that my last three sermons could really kind of fill this point in for us, at least when it comes to uh, how we face the trials and tribulations of life and prayer. So we looked at Psalm 62, just to remind you, and we saw that prayer, specifically, again, quietness in prayer, in silence, my soul waits for God, my salvation. That in Psalm 62, we learn that prayer gives us God's perspective, And it gives us safety in God. It gives us hope in God. We learn that God's perspective is he sees us. He understands the situation. And he understands how to use it. We get safety. We know that we are safe in Jesus because he is our stronghold. He is with us to carry us and strengthen us and defend us. And we get hope because we know that Jesus saves. This will not last forever. Darkness and death are not the last word for Christians. Sadness, grief, and mourning are not the final word. We serve the God of the resurrection and of life and of light. And we gain that perspective and that foundation as we draw near to the God of the resurrection, to Jesus, and sit in his presence. We saw in 1 Kings 19 that God actually leads us into times of silent prayer so he can give us help, so we can be loud with God. So our hearts can be noisy and raucous and cacophonous, which means to make a bad sound, uh, so that the still presence of Jesus can quiet our hearts and refresh us and give us wholeness so that our hearts can be repaired and he can give us the ability to continue walking forward with him, rising up on wings like eagles, walking and not go weary, running and not go freight. And then we saw last Sunday, In Isaiah 40, that prayer and stillness in prayer gives us a place again to take our noisy hearts, which again are noisy not only because we face bad things, but because we have to face, as we talked about, the reality of carrying good news and bad news around in our life kind of at the same time. The hope of the good, the struggle of the bad. A prayer and stillness in prayer lets us take our loud hearts and the quiet presence of Jesus so that we can be protected, as we looked at, from the drama of idolatry and given renewed strength to walk with Jesus in faithfulness. So I'm rehashing all that because I I really hope that if you've been here, you've been thinking about these things. And then if you weren't here, I would invite you to go back and listen to those sermons. Um, They're up on our our website. I I think the texts are pretty powerful and very much worth reflecting on again. 
Uh, but for today, I'm just going to add how prayer helps us meet God's faithfulness in good times. And we're actually going to talk a lot, about, a lot more about this next Sunday. But I want to focus about how God's faithfulness meets us on good times. Because again, as Luke tells us, when things were going super well, Jesus would still go off alone to pray. Uh, like I talked about already, when things were going well, when things are easy, when we're feeling blessed, when we're happy, we're getting recognition, we're feeling like we're moving forward, we're making friends, we're influencing people, everything is great. When all of that is happening, we do tend to relegate prayer to something like an afterthought or a perfunctory cursory thing that we'll do when we think about it. Now, when that happens, lots of things begin to occur in our life. Fundamentally, I, I think what happens is we can turn these good things that we are experiencing into idols. These good things are the reason I am living, and I am living for them, and I do not want them taken from me or changed or altered in any way. My life is now focused on maintaining this particular experience of reality. Not only does it create idolatry, I also think it creates pride. These things come to me because I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, I've shaped reality to my own will. Right? When we neglect prayer, when we neglect taking these things to the one who um, gave it to us, we start forgetting the giver and thinking that we are responsible. Not only that, I also think we become ungenerous. I think we end up losing empathy. We start living like we live in a works-based world that rewards good behavior and punishes bad behavior rather than in a fallen world where uh, calamity happens to the righteous and the unrighteous. Where you can do everything right and get cancer. Where you can make all the right financial moves and be homeless. Where you can love their, your kids and they hate you. Where you can love your parents and like they hate you. You can be forgotten <laughs> by your mother and father, as the psalmist says. We live in a fallen world that is broken, where people do not get their just desserts, but where Jesus is present in grace and in mercy in that brokenness. And it seems to me what Jesus is doing here is he is taking these good things that are something to be celebrated and rejoiced in to the Father in prayer so that they can be grounded in the Heavenly Father's faithfulness to him so that in his humanity, he can celebrate them as the Father's gifts. He can give thanks for them. Thank you that uh, the world is starting to see the invitation into life with you that I am and they're being drawn to me. And also so that he can see the Father in those good gifts. So he can see the Father's presence in these good things. That these are not accidental things that are occurring, but they are coming from his Father's hand to him for his blessing. And also so that he can learn how to discern uh, what the Father desires in the way that he extends those good gifts out into the world. And also these times of prayer, I think, anchor Jesus' joy and security in something greater than passing success. Uh, these times of prayer allowed Jesus in his humanity to regularly enter into that great biblical truth that we are not loved because we are successful. 
and we are not hated because we are suffering. And that we are not closer to God when life is easy, and we are not farther away than when it is hard. No, we are loved because we are God's creation. We are loved because we are his children. Jesus, because he is the eternal son of the Father. Us, because we are adopted through Jesus, in Jesus, by faith. See, Jesus goes into prayer so that his greatest joy wouldn't be the success of his ministry, but instead to remember and enter into his greatest joy of all, which is, as he says in the Gospel of John, I am in the Father, and my Father is in me. And which Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John, too, is our great joy, that we may be in them as they are in us. Right? Finding your greatest joy and strength in faithfulness, in the faithfulness of the Father in all times and places, that is not something that happens apart from regular prayer. Now, nor is being faithful to the Father in all circumstances. And here's our last point before I move on to some practical applications of all this. Uh, we need to keep in mind that Jesus' earthly life was always and simultaneously aimed at two things. Knowing the Father and making him known. On earth, Jesus kept his relationship with the Father strong and healthy through prayer and worship and Bible reading and fellowship with the saints. And because his relationship with the Father was perfect, he made him perfectly known. Going back to the beginning, when Jesus walked through the world and encountered people like this leper in our passage, he knew how to make the Father's welcome known to him. He knew how to be angry and not sin, like the Father does. He knew how to challenge people without demeaning people. He knew how to forgive people and how to reconcile people. He knew how to be patient with growth and gentle with us as we learn at the Father's pace, which is not always the pace that we might desire people to mature and grow in. Uh, in terms of Psalm 62, Jesus not only had the Father's perspective on his life, he also had the Father's perspective on our life. And it seems to me that we cannot say that Jesus maintained that perspective simply because he is God, and so it was easy for him. That's a kind of a cop-out. It's a theological uh, easy answer. Uh, because, my friends, Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully human. And as Hebrews says, he was tempted in every way as we are and yet without sin, which means Jesus was tempted to impatience. And he was tempted to harshness and he was tempted to sinful frustration he was tempted like we are to ignore suffering because he's just done i'm just done i'm out i can't do it anymore he was tempted to demean and insult and put down he was tempted to write us off but he did not and the reason he did not impart must be because of his prayer life, which Luke so carefully records. I mean, just read Luke. Read all the Gospels. Jesus is praying all the time. Why does Jesus pray before the cross? Why does Jesus pray 40 days and nights in the wilderness before he begins his ministry? Why does Jesus pray when everything is going great? Because in his humanity, 
Jesus could not faithfully reveal the Father to us and be patient and kind and merciful and just and reconciling and forgiving. He could not discern the Father's will of how to express those things perfectly to each person as he encountered them. He could not do that without his prayer life. He could not do that without taking reality, the world as it is, before the Father and praying your kingdom come, your will be done. And specifically, I think it's also inseparable, not just from Jesus' prayer as such, but also from his life of silent, quiet prayer. Notice again, in Luke, Jesus goes off into the desert to pray. It means away from people. In chapter 6, he goes up on a mountain. Again, like we learned at the end of Luke's gospel, he would frequently go to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Jesus sought out silent places, quiet places where he could be alone with the Father and pour out his heart to be still and know that his Father is God, to be given his Father's perspective, to be given strength and hope and help and refreshment, to be given the strength necessary in his humanity to reject the idol of Satan himself, which you and I would not be able to do. He did it, not only because he's God, but because he was so devoted to the Father and particularly to the Father in prayer. He was, it was prayer that allowed Jesus to walk into hell itself on the cross to save us. My friends, if this is what God the Son needed to do for his human relationship with the Father, then I think certainly we need to make space for regular quiet prayer in our own lives. And I don't mean uh, simply that we do this and we don't pray with other people. I think it's both and. So let me just kind of get to some practical nuts and bolts. What does this mean? What does this look like? We're at the end, so let me give you some practical takeaways. What do I mean by regular times of prayer? I mean basically every day. And I mean at least once a day. Although I found twice a day for myself to be very ideal. Uh, but having said that, let me add this. When I say that regular means at least one time of prayer a day, or for myself twice a day, I don't mean that these times are sort of hours long like our Lord's was. Uh, because our Lord Jesus was called to a different kind of human life than we all are. Uh, Jesus was a homeless, itinerant preacher. Uh, none of us are homeless, itinerant preachers. Praise God. <laughs> that is not a calling I want. Uh, Jesus was not married. Jesus did not have children or babies to take care of. Uh, many of us do. Many of us are married. Uh, Jesus was fed through donations. We are all fed through employment. And this is why I believe our Lord's life of prayer is meant to be a general example, not a specific example. And so in that light, I've tailored it to me, and I'm going to share that with you so that just to give you an idea of how it might look in your life and to make adjustments as it works for you. So here's how I've arranged my regular life of prayer. Uh, for 10 to 15 minutes after breakfast in the morning, I sit in my chair and I read something, some short section from something that helps me think about Jesus for the day. Sometimes it's the Bible, uh, but usually it's a book that I use devotionally. So for instance, I just finished rereading uh, short sections of Martin Luther King Jr.'s phenomenal collection of sermons, The Strength to Love. Uh, and after I read uh, you know, a few paragraphs, I pray for myself. I pray for my wife. I pray for my children. I pray for their day, and I end it with 30 to 60 seconds of silence. 10 to 15 minutes. Except on Wednesday, I got up late. It was about eight minutes. But that's what I do. 
Monday through Friday. Then later on, after lunch, I set aside about 10 to 20 minutes for myself to read the Bible and to pray, and I mix those together. So I practice what historically has been called Lectio Divina, which is just the practice of prayerfully reading the Bible. So I'm reading through 1 Kings right now. I read a few sections slowly and prayerfully, uh, asking Jesus questions like, you know, Lord, do I respond like David responded? How do I, how do I, how should I respond? What do you want me to do in, with it, with this word? Um, help me understand how to treat my family with this kind of grace that I see in this passage. Read it prayerfully, slowly. And then at the end of that time, I pray for all of you. I pray for our community. I pray again for my family. And I end with another minute or so of just being still and knowing that Jesus is God. I do this again basically Monday through Friday. Saturday looks different because we're all home. I pray once a day, but the timing moves around week to week because our schedule is never the same on Saturdays. Sunday looks different. Uh, I actually pray one time. It's longer. I pray in the morning as I'm preparing for church. Uh, so that's, what, that's how I've arranged my regular time of, of prayer. And just to add this, this is what I do now with the life Jesus has given me now. I, it would not look like this if I had newborns. <laughs> it didn't look like this when I had newborns. It wouldn't look like this if I had toddlers. And if Jesus were to rearrange my life in a different way at some other point, which he will, because life has changed, I'll divide my prayer up, time up differently. Uh, so for you, like maybe put your prayer time in the car on your way to work or you know, maybe find a quiet place to pray during lunch by taking a walk or even just sitting in your car because no one's going to bother you if you're sitting in your car. Uh, maybe it's 10 minutes after dinner. Maybe it's 15 minutes before you do whatever you do to relax before going to bed. I would just strongly encourage you to experiment with your day and figure out what time or times work best for you. And if you need to divide it up into shorter sections, that's what I needed to do. 45 minutes half hour. That was too much. I didn't have the attention span and people would call. I, the to-do list would get big in my head. But if I divide it up, I have the attention span. I don't feel pressure to get to my to-do list. It's easier for me. That's why I do it that way. But I would also say this. Don't uh, exchange these. Don't, don't, don't uh, confuse family devotional time or church devotional time for private devotional time either. Jesus prayed with his disciples and he went off and prayed by himself. So pray with your family, pray with each other, but don't say, now I'm good. Have your own time as well, like Jesus did. But whatever you do, whatever you do, do not say, nothing will work for me. It's not possible. Every suggestion that's ever been given is impossible. My life is so hard. We got everything in the world comes at me. If that's true, start saying no to more things. Because um, no is a gift from God. No. Uh, but seriously, beloved, you have five to 15 minutes somewhere in your day to just focus on God's faithfulness, to just be with Jesus and to reflect with him on how to be faithful. You have that time. And if you uh, are blessed to be married in a, in a Christian marriage, your spouses will guard your time. I'm confident. Hey, honey, I need to go spend 10 minutes with Jesus. Can you take care of the kids? Yeah, and then can we swap? Yes, we can do that. If you have older kids who can help, you can bring them in too and say, hey, mom and dad need to go. We're gonna go pray to Jesus separately for a little bit. Can you guys play quietly? 
Yes, we can do that. Great, I'll set a timer. When the timer goes off, you can come knock on our door. That'll be great. Okay, yes, we can do that. You have the time and you have the support. Use each other. Trust that Jesus will bless you as you draw near to him. Because, my friends, we all have loud hearts. We all have pressure from the world, the flesh, and the devil. We all have change and seasons. We talked last year about all the different seasons Jesus brings into our lives. We need that time to go be loud with Jesus so that the stillness of his presence can bring us peace. Make time. Figure it out. Experiment. If it doesn't work, try something else. Right? But do it. Because Jesus is not a dead idol. He is living he is active, and he hears our prayers. And the more you go to him, the more you will find calmness for your soul. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, please help us to set aside regular times in our day to be separate from the world so that we can be present with you and so have our identity grounded not in our circumstances but in our relationship with you. Father, please help us to pray and to pour out our hearts to you. Help us to be still in your presence and so know that you are God and therefore we are safe and we can truly act in the hope that you are living in the world as our Savior. And Father, as we do this, please help us to be people who don't react but who respond in faith knowing that you are near. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.